This isn't a podcast where we encourage you to gamble, but if you were laying a bet on who would be the Republican candidate for president in the American elections, then at this stage, you'd be mad to put your money on anyone else. President Trump continuing his winning streak Saturday, taking the South Carolina GOP primary by double digits as he cements his status as the party's presumed nominee. An even bigger win than we anticipated. And I was just informed that we got double the number of votes that has ever been received in the great state of South Carolina. At times, it seemed more like a coronation than an actual contest, as Donald Trump has gone from state to state, winning every primary so far. And next week brings Super Tuesday, a big day in the American election cycle, when numerous states go to the polls to decide who they want to run in the presidential elections. It'll be a tough moment for the last Republican candidate still running against Trump. I said earlier this week that no matter what happens in South Carolina, I would continue to run for president. I'm a woman of my word. So who is Nikki Haley and what's motivating her to keep going despite the almost impossible odds? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, why is Nikki Haley still running? I'm David Charter. I'm an assistant editor of The Times based in Washington, D.C. And David, in your position... Whether you like it or not, 2024 is really all about the American presidential elections. I can see from the state of your phone, which is covered in stickers, you've already been touring the state primaries. You've just come back from South Carolina. How was it? And how has Nikki Haley been doing through this process? Well, South Carolina was lovely and warm compared to Washington, D.C., I can tell you that for a start. (laughs) So the Republican primary has come down to just the two candidates, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. And this is Nikki Haley's home state. She was born, uh, brought up, and became governor of South Carolina. So she's very well known there. It's not like she had to introduce herself. Uh, Trump is also extremely well known and well liked there. In fact, a lot of people I met said they like Nikki Haley, but they love Trump. And that really was reflected in the result of the South Carolina primary when Trump scored 60% and Haley just a shade under 40%. She did a little bit better than opinion polls were suggesting she was going to do, but still I think she'd be disappointed, as it's her home state, that she didn't do just slightly better. It really feels like she didn't quite get the momentum she needs to go forward, although she is continuing uh, with the battle. That's got to hurt, losing in your own home state. I mean, tell us about the way she seems to be continuing. What has she said since losing South Carolina? 
Yes, there was a moment in her election night speech where I think a lot of people in the crowd thought she was about to throw in the towel. She congratulated Trump on his victory and said that we're all friends and friends tell each other some hard truths. And I heard some uh-ohs and some oh dears in the crowd around me. But uh, she then went on to say that there's a real yearning among a number of Republican voters for an alternative to Trump. And in America, we don't do Soviet-style elections with just one candidate. Primaries are all about making a choice, and she wants to stay in it uh, as long as she can to offer Republican voters a choice uh, in their primary election. So, David, in that moment when everyone thought this might be her throwing the towel in, she decides she's going to carry on. How does the crowd around you react? What were people in South Carolina saying? Well, in that crowd, they were relieved, actually. They're the true believers in Nikki Haley and in an alternative to Trump. They're desperate for the Republican Party to shake off Trump and to move on. And that's Haley's message, that it's time to move on. Her, her message has consistently been Trump was the right guy in 2016 because the country didn't want Hillary Clinton. But we've seen the chaos that comes with the Trump administration and his personality is unraveling. Chaos follows him. You know I'm right. Chaos follows him everywhere he goes. She's backed that up by saying that she's running as a next generation candidate and warning that America will soon get its first female president. And if you vote for Biden, that's going to be Kamala Harris, suggesting that Biden will have to uh, drop out or even pass away during his second term. Or you can back uh, Haley for the first female president. And you've talked about some of the things that she said about Trump, and she hasn't pulled her punches. She's been out as one of his most vocal critics. Talk us through the things that she's saying about him. And also, what is he saying about her as he goes around the country campaigning? So Haley came through the Republican debates being quite nice about Trump and joining those who said that they would still support him if he was the Republican candidate ultimately, and even if he was convicted. However, since she's become the last rival standing, she's really turned up the attacks and called him unhinged and diminished. We had moved 25 points in the three weeks leading up to the election. And Donald Trump was totally unhinged. Unhinged. And highlighted times when he's seemed to get into a muddle or use the wrong word or referred to the fact that he's fighting against Obama instead of Biden to highlight his age and suggest that he, as many Americans believe about Biden, is in some sort of cognitive decline. He said multiple times that he ran against President Obama. He didn't run against President Obama. These things happen because guess what? When you're 80, that's what happens. You're just not as sharp as you used to be. What has Trump been saying about Nikki Haley? Well, Trump characteristically has not been kind. He's got a nickname for her, which is Bird Brain. He's painted her as a globalist uh, and a warmonger because of her support for Ukraine. Then in January, he went a step further and was accused of being racist for writing on social media about Nikki Nimrada using a form of her first name that was clearly designed, certainly the Haley campaign viewed as similar to the attacks on Barack Obama 
and his Kenyan heritage, suggesting that he wasn't even legitimately able to run for president. And of course, some on the Trump orbit on social media were making the same insinuations about uh, Nikki Haley because of her Indian heritage that she shouldn't even be running. So really playing on the race card. It seems that way. It, it is something that Trump reaches for when he feels particularly vulnerable. And I think that's what he did at that point. So Donald Trump is clearly trying to undermine her. That usually means he's getting worried about a candidate. There have been lots of others, though, who were standing against him in this race, who seem to have disappeared. And she, you know, she has outlasted a lot of them. Just remind us very briefly of some of the others who've come and gone. Yes, Haley is the last woman standing, as she says, and the field was quite wide, actually, uh, just a few months ago. So we had Ron DeSantis, who was a very early favourite, actually, the Florida governor, right at the start of the whole process. He seemed to be running neck and neck with Trump, if not slightly ahead. But he crashed out after the Iowa caucuses a couple of days before the New Hampshire primary, after throwing everything at Iowa and coming quite a distant second to Trump. Uh, we had Vivek Ramaswamy, who was a rather young biotech millionaire uh, who largely self-funded his campaign and made a name for himself by trying to be even more Trumpy and outspoken than the original. He pulled out after New Hampshire, after really failing to ever reach uh, double figures. And then on the other side of the coin, we had a couple of candidates who were very strongly anti-Trump. So the main one of those was Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor. He struggled to get any traction at all. He was booed by the crowd during Republican debates for being so outspoken against Trump. And he pulled out without endorsing Haley, who I think hoped that she might get the support of Christie. And then, of course, there was also Mike Pence, the former vice president Mike Pence never gained any traction with the new grassroots of the party because he simply had refused on January the 6th, 2021, to throw out the results of swing states that have backed Joe Biden and forever incurring the wrath of the diehard Trump fans. And he pulled out way before the Iowa caucuses actually just couldn't get going. So Nikki Haley is now last woman standing although lagging far behind Donald Trump, obviously. But just tell us a bit about her uh, as a person, as a politician. I mean, give us a bit more on, on the background that we know Donald Trump has been trying to mock. Well, Nikki Haley's story is really the American dream. She's the daughter of immigrants from the Punjab uh, who came over to teach in rural South Carolina in the small town of Bamberg, where they were the first Sikhs who had ever been seen, I think, by anyone in, in the town and were something of a curiosity. And she was born Nimarata Nikki Randhawa in 1972 and has always used her middle name, Nikki, and acquired her surname Haley when she married her college sweetheart, Michael Haley, in 1996. So she trained as an accountant and the family's fortunes dramatically altered uh, in the mid-70s, when they switched from teaching to running a clothing and general household goods store called Exotica in Bamberg, which was a tremendous success. And they moved to a bigger town called Lexington, where they opened a, a much bigger store. 
And in fact, it made them rather wealthy. And the whole family is now relocated to a place off the southern coast of South Carolina called Kiowa Island, which is really an exclusive resort. And of course, the American dream aspect is that one of their children went to college. She joined the local Chamber of Commerce, and that led her into local politics, where she eventually ran for the House of Representatives in South Carolina, uh, winning quite a close race against a, a veteran member, and then was later encouraged to run for governor of the state. And it was really a long shot bid. She was an incredible outsider in a state which was, I have to say, fairly misogynistic, and at least in its politics. It had a good old boy atmosphere. All the blokes uh, who were running politics were all in it together and knew each other. And she forced her way into this club Mm. uh, as an outsider to get a runoff spot for governor, which she won. A lot of dirt was thrown at Nikki Haley, but she came through and just added to the whole series of firsts. So she was the first Indian American ever elected in South Carolina for the House. She was the first woman governor. She's the first non-white governor. Uh, At 38, she was the youngest governor. And she was extremely popular and won re-election. She had to deal with like an all-male Senate and really opened it up by forcing all these behind-the-scenes votes and backdoor dealing out into the open by making all the senators put their name to every decision. It had all just gone through on the nod before. And it really modernized to an extent uh, the way things were done in South Carolina. I mean, David, that really is a remarkable story. To become the first female governor, to to break all these sort of traditions in, in the political cycle, to modernize it so much, is such a big deal. And she's obviously made a mark on the stage. She then also manages to become known nationally around the time when there's an attack on a black church in Charleston. Tell us about that. So this is the incident that brought Nikki Haley to national attention. In June 2015, it was a terrible hate crime in Charleston when a young white supremacist went into a Bible study class at one of the oldest black churches in South Carolina and shot and killed nine people at the Bible study class uh, to the horror of America. Hi, everyone. I'm Allison Harmelin. Police in South Carolina are looking for a gunman following a shooting at a church in downtown Charleston Wednesday night. Our CBS station, WCSC, says the shooter walked into the Emanuel AME church and opened fire. And at the time, Charleston was a city on edge. It was a huge shock. And what Nikki Haley did, along with many of the citizens of Charleston from all backgrounds, you know, white and black backgrounds was to really rally round in a remarkable sense of support for the black community. She was there along with other community leaders at the church the next day, basically giving hugs, holding hands. A long chain of Charleston residents was formed all the way through the city in a remarkable show of support Uh, for the community at a a time of just terrible loss and vulnerability. 
and it led Nikki Haley, who had supported the continued use of the Confederate flag outside uh, the governor's mansion. Uh, when she first came to office, saying, well, this is a tradition, I'll, I'll stick with it. Within days, she had made the argument for the removal of the Confederate flag, uh, which was taken down and never seen again flying officially uh, in South Carolina. When she's doing this in 2015, when she's getting a national reputation for being a Republican governor who's out there holding hands, comforting people after a racist attack, Donald Trump is on the rise. Tell us about that. What was their relationship like? Was she always a supporter of his? Well, clearly, once she'd come to such national attention, there was talk of her being a potential vice presidential candidate. And she was talked of as a potential running mate pick for Donald Trump in 2016. But she vowed to continue uh, as governor and said she wasn't interested. Donald Trump did come asking once he'd won the election whether she would join his administration as his ambassador to to the United Nations. And so Haley decided not to complete her second term as governor and joined the Trump administration. Now, it's one thing to have achieved a lot in your state, to have gone from college, chamber of commerce, politics, to being governor. Being ambassador to the UN is a whole other league. How did she do? Well, this, of course, was a tumultuous time because Trump came in with all sorts of different ideas to throw all the chess pieces in the air. And she was the one who had to go to the United Nations and explain Trump's ban on Muslim immigration from certain majority Muslim countries, the withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accord, uh, the negotiations with North Korea, which led Trump to his extraordinary meetings with the leader of North Korea. It's an honor to be with Chairman Kim. It's an honor to be together. It's great to be with you. We had a very successful first summit. We made a lot of progress. And I think the biggest progress was our relationship is really a good one. One thing that she became known for was extremely strong support for Israel, setting the ground, although she wasn't there, for the negotiations that led to the Abraham Accords and some normalization of Israel relations with some of the other countries in the region. To its shame... The United Nations has long been a hostile place for the state of Israel. Both the current and the previous Secretary Generals have objected to the UN's disproportionate focus on Israel. It's a wrong that undermines the credibility of this institution, and that in turn is harmful for the entire world. Is that something she still talks about now? She's an extremely strong supporter of Israel and its right to self-defense. But moreover, she's not followed the America first path of Trump of growing isolationism. She's a very firm believer in funding Ukraine's defensive war against Russia. She talks about how this is in America's self-interest and she draws upon her own family experience because her husband is a serving soldier with the South Carolina National Guard, who is actually currently posted overseas uh, for a year. And she can talk with a lot more authority than Trump about what it means to serve in the armed forces. If you don't know the value 
of our men and women in uniform, if you don't know the sacrifice that they go through, why should I, as a military spouse and all our military families, trust you to know you're going to keep them out of harm's way? She was, as the ambassador to the UN, she was a, a big character in the, the Trump administration. And yet their relationship seems to have become quite strained, particularly now. Uh, she seems you know, she's very open about her criticism. To dis- just describe how things changed. During the time of the Trump administration, on the face of it, they worked together rather well. And it was actually something of a surprise when she decided to resign at the end of 2018. And they left seemingly on pretty good terms. They did a joint press conference uh, in the Oval Office and Trump praised Haley. I wanted to do this because Nikki Haley, ambassador to the United Nations, has been very special to me. She's done an incredible job. She's a fantastic person, very importantly, but she also is somebody that gets it. It was unclear, and it's still a little unclear, I have to say, exactly what lay behind uh, her resignation. Perhaps a desire to start to put some distance between herself and Trump and establish herself as her own person, if you like. And David, she's certainly done that now. When she threw her hat in the ring to run for president, what sort of a reception did she get? So Haley had said that she would not run against Trump. From the get-go, it was extremely annoying for Trump. She got in rather early. I think she was the first one to announce after Trump himself. She started off from a pretty low base. So it always looked like it would be perhaps one of those campaigns which was just showing itself to the Republican electorate as a potential VP or perhaps to keep your name in the frame for future years. But uh, it soon became clear that this was a really serious bid to get to the White House in 2024. Coming up, how long can Nikki Haley last? And why does she believe that she's fighting not just for the soul of the Republican Party, but the soul of America? That's in just a moment. This weekend, if you're a Time subscriber, you can catch the latest episode of Inside the Newsroom, our look at life here at the Times. It's our new behind-the-scenes series on Apple Podcasts, just for subscribers, on the Stories of Our Times feed. If you want to find out more, visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash bonus podcasts. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. 
feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So David, Nikki Haley throws her hat in the ring. Her campaign starts to gather momentum and it feels like the first moment she really broke out and people took notice I suppose was when the debate started just talk us through that tonight the race for the White House takes flight welcome to the first debate of the 2024 presidential campaign live at Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee well for a start she stood out because she was the only woman on stage Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Next, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. Former Vice President Mike Pence. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. She was flanked by seven male rivals, and that helped her to stand out, and also her foreign policy experience clearly showed through when it came to discussion of questions about Ukraine, for example. But I think what really caught the eye was in a later debate when she ran up against the young biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, who ill-advisedly, I think, decided to have a go at her daughter. Families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. Her daughter was sitting right there in the front row, just a few yards away. And Ramaswamy characteristically started to bluster and blab a bit further and Haley could audibly be heard muttering. Here's the truth. You're just the easy scum. answer is actually to say that you're just scum. And that really marked a tipping point for Ramaswamy. He, I don't think he recovered from that in the ratings, actually. So suddenly you start to see the other candidates falling by the wayside. And at the same time, Nikki Haley's campaign goes from strength to strength, really, because of funding. Tell us about the sort of funding she's managed to raise. So this is the thing about American politics. You can't really continue for very long unless you've got some serious financial backing. But it also helps if you've got a broad base of small donors too. And Haley's got both. And I've met quite a few of them actually on the road. The thing thing that she's got to stay ahead of is the corporate dollar. And at some point, the corporate dollar doesn't care who who the president's going to be. But really, 
what you need are some serious what they call mega donors. And there was a big moment in November when an organization called Americans for Prosperity Action announced that it was back in Haley. And that was a a well-known, powerful group, which is known for looking for non-Trump candidates. Powerful Republican donors, the Koch brothers, have just endorsed Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley. Americans for Prosperity Action, the political arm of Koch's network, are out with a new ad in support of the former UN ambassador. Now it's our time to turn the page and choose a new leader who will unite our party, our nation, that proven leader, Nikki Haley, a true fiscal conservative, a positive vision for the future. Nikki Haley's plan drives down- so Having such a prominent donor to add to some of the lesser known ones also gave a great sense of momentum just at the right time, actually, in, in November last year when Haley is, is really beginning to emerge as a serious, if not the serious, rival to Trump. Yeah, so there's suddenly even more more momentum building. The the Koch brothers have been famous for funding right-wing causes. The fact that they're behind her is big. How important was that funding to her? And and post-South Carolina, when she lost even the backing of, of her home state, that funding, is it drying up? So what we've seen since South Carolina is that the funding from Americans for Prosperity Action has been paused. Can she carry on without it? Well, this is a symbolic blow, I think, because it's there was such a well-known group and so much was made of their support coming in in November. It was so important. What we are obviously watching for now is whether other deep-pocketed donors follow suit Remarkably, the Haley campaign outraised the Trump campaign in January. She raised a little over $11 million just in her campaign, and the Trump campaign was a a bit under $9 million. That's extraordinary. Yeah, that shows a real strength uh, with donors large and small. And David, just explain that, because even though she was raising so much money in January, did people actually think she could beat Donald Trump? I mean, we had that moment where one of her competitors, Chris Christie, dropped out and there was an accidental comment picked up on his mic. Yeah, that's what you get. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, she spent $68 million so far, just on TV. Spent $68 million so far, $59 million by- This was really unfortunate for the Haley campaign because not only did Chris Christie not endorse her, but he was caught on, a, on this hot mic saying... She's going to get smoked. Getting a return on their investment, you know, and she's going to get smoked. And you and I both know it. She's not up to this. She hasn't even been. She's still twenty points behind Trump in New Hampshire, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's going to. He's still going to carry out. And that was seen as a candid judgment from a heavyweight Republican insider, of course, that really knocked some of the wind out of Haley's sails. I would say. It didn't deter the true believers, but in a way, Christie's assessment is correct because she's not come that close to beating Trump in any of the contests so far. We're looking forward to Super Tuesday on March the 5th when there are 15 states uh, holding their votes and 
She's behind in opinion polls in every single state, large and small. And it really doesn't look like she can overhaul Trump. And yet she's still going. You know, the the odds are against her. The polling isn't in her favour. Why do you think she's still going? She said why she's still going. And whether you take it at face value, she's talked about we don't do Soviet style elections in America. What insiders on the campaign basically say is that she wants to stay in as long as possible so that Americans do have a choice. Opinion polls and one stunning poll just a few days ago from Marquette University showed Haley 16 points ahead of Biden in a head-to-head And the same poll put Trump two points ahead of Biden, which was in the margin of error. And so there are polls around which give a clear indication that if Republicans want to guarantee success in November, they'd go for Haley. So basically, David, when it comes to the polls for the Republican primaries, the ones that decide who the Republican candidate will be, she is lagging quite a long way behind Trump. And yet, when you look at it nationally, she comes up way ahead of of Biden. That's been consistently the picture. I mean, the problem for Haley is, is that there have also been polls, quite a few, showing Trump beating Biden in November, not by a great deal, but by enough. If all you consume in America is conservative media, every night you are being fed stories about how doddery and how incapable Biden is even now, let alone for the next four years. Uh, That's convinced the base that Trump will win in November if he's chosen. There could be uh, a feeling in the Haley camp that they want to stay in as long as possible in case Trump has to drop out. But legally, it's very unlikely that anything that can happen to him in the courts will force him to drop out. The only thing is the Supreme Court is hearing the Colorado case where they removed him from the ballot in Colorado for breaching the 14th Amendment of engaging in insurrection. So obviously, if the Supreme Court were to surprise America by saying, yes, actually, Trump is banned from running for president under the 14th Amendment, then all bets are off and Haley would be in a strong position to step in. Mm. But even then, of course, she doesn't have the MAGA base. And even in the case that Trump is forced to drop out, I mean, unless he dies and, and is unable to endorse somebody else, he would presumably name someone else to carry the torch and it wouldn't be her. Is this effectively a fight for the soul of the Republican Party and, and the soul of the Republic of what happens to America? Well, I think it is all of the above to be honest. The battle for the soul of the Republican Party has really been won by Donald Trump. And Haley is showing a potential alternative, which is not so isolationist. And it's certainly not so grievance stricken as Trump. But she's very conservative. She's been pretty tough on abortion. She's she signed some quite restrictive measures in South Carolina. The reason she's seen as moderate, I think, is because Ukraine is always part of any debate. And she sticks out as an old style Republican who thinks America does have this global duty to defend democracy. 
uh, and also Europe, she would be all in for NATO and, and Ukraine. And that's just not in favour at the moment among the Trump wing of the party. So Trump is an isolationist. She still sees, she's a sort of Republican who still sees America having a role policing geopolitics all over the world. Apart from that, though, as you say, their policies aren't that different on a lot of social issues, a lot of sort of domestic politics. For the people who are backing her, if she doesn't carry on, if she drops out at some point, do they become automatic Trump supporters or are these Republicans who just won't vote for Donald Trump? Well, this, I think, is the big danger for the Republican Party if it wants to get back into power. The longer this contest goes on, the more that Nikki Haley is pointing out to America and to conservative-leaning voters all of Trump's faults. This election will be won in the margins. As you know, only about five or six or seven states are really going to be very competitive and decide the election. So it really matters if just a few thousand people who are traditional Republican supporters stay away. So, David, how long does this last? Is she gone next week? I think the spectacle of losing in probably all of the states on Super Tuesday will be the end of the road. We've already seen some donors throw in the towel. Without the money, it's impossible. But also, without a victory, it's hopeless. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times' assistant editor based in Washington, David Charter. You can find all of David's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription as he brings you all the action from the primaries and Super Tuesday next week and all the way through to the election in November. And if you're interested in American politics, then you won't want to miss the opportunity next week to have all of your questions answered by our brilliant team of correspondents across America in a live online event at 7pm on the 6th of March. You can sign up now. It's free at times-event.com forward slash US hyphen election forward slash. That's times-event.com forward slash US hyphen election forward slash. And we'll put that link in the description notes too for you. The producers today were Chris Wade and Taryn Siegel. The executive producer was Fiona Leach and sound design was by Mal Lissetto. If you can, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.